You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, dear Caleb, the New Testament Gospels are not telling mere stories or myths about Jesus becoming the Christ, but they are historical accounts of how Jesus, who was the Christ from his conception, saves sinners by his death and by his resurrection. Now, for those of us who have been baptized and catechized in the Christian church from infancy, as Caleb now has the great privilege of of being and doing, this should go without saying that Jesus is the Christ. From the very moment he was conceived in the womb of Mary, that he is Christ. And yet, there have been, there has been over 150 years of critical scholarship where the opposite has been asserted. There is a hard distinction, you see, by most of the scholars in the world who look at the New Testament. There's a hard distinction between the human Jesus and what they call the Christ of faith. That is, the Christ that you read about in the Bible. Now, if you add to that critical distinction, our cultural obsession with, I don't know, superheroes like Superman and Batman and their origin myths, and you can bet that most people outside of the Holy Christian Church imagine that the Gospels are stories about Jesus, a man growing up into the Christ or becoming the Christ or becoming something uh, greater than he was by being invested with great powers. Or so we've been told by the over-exaggeration of his followers. St. Peter, even at his time, knew about this great danger. And he says, For we, the apostles, did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, just because you or I have not seen something with our eyes, and even if we hear about something that seems incredible to us, or we've never seen its like before, that doesn't mean that what we have heard is necessarily false. You see, everything hangs upon the reliability and the credibility of the witnesses. And so as Christians, what do we say about saints Peter, James, and John, and what they have told us about Jesus and his glory. Well, we know this, and this is a historical fact, irrefutable, in fact, because of the great weight of evidence behind it. These men were willing to suffer, to be tortured, and to die for their confession about Jesus. And that should be counted as an incredible mark in their favor. Because who really would suffer and die for cleverly devised myths? But the testimony of men, and we know this instinctively, the testimony of men isn't enough. Because if it is the word of men, there's still room for doubt. But St. Peter tells us that his testimony is not his own. He identifies himself as a speaker, to be considered with the prophets and the patriarchs of old, the men who penned the Old Testament scriptures. He says no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. 
But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. St. Peter says, you don't have to take my word as a man for it. Believe, because I speak not my own word, but God's word, as I too have been carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit cares about one thing and one thing only, making known to you the truth, making known to you the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't care about some stories that Peter, James, and John may have come up with. What the Holy Spirit cares about is that you would hear the Father's voice preached to you through the Scriptures this day. That you would hear the voice of the Father and believe when He says, Listen to His Son. We listen to the Scriptures and we believe them because they are God's Word. And God's Word reveals to us two things this morning. First, on the Mount of Transfiguration... God's Word shows us the glory of Jesus' divinity in the unity of His person. And second, we are shown that the Scriptures are given to us in the confidence of the inspiration of the Word. That in the Old and New Testaments, because they are God's Word, they give us the glory of Christ. So, the very first thing. What exactly did Peter, James, and John see when they... We're up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. The scriptures say that they were that that that, that they saw Jesus being metamorphosized before them. His appearance was changed in a significant way. He was transfigured, is the other way that we say it. St. Matthew writes that Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. It's an incredible thing that we haven't heard about yet this year, as we've been going through the scripture readings for Epiphany, but it is teaching the very same thing that we have been learning from the other gospel lessons. In the other gospel lessons, we are presented with Jesus who looks like a man, who talks like a man, who is treated like a man, except for when he isn't. (laughs) So, for instance, when Jesus was a little baby sitting on Mary's lap, do you guys remember what happened in the Feast of Epiphany? Who came to visit him? Who came to worship him? The Magi did. And they visited him, not as you would come and visit a little baby that's just been born. They fell down upon their faces and worshipped this little baby as God. Later on, we learned that Jesus manifested his glory in miraculous ways. No human being can take water and turn it into wine. I don't care how great a vinter you are, or you think you are. (laughs) You can't take water and make wine out of it, but Jesus can. And the scriptures say that this manifests his glory to us and to his disciples, even to the point of the disciples' faith. We saw how Jesus, even though he looked as a man when he was coming up out of the water of baptism, how the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him alone. And the Father's voice said, This is my beloved Son, saying the very same thing that we heard today upon the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, despite this great clarity about the identity of Jesus, being truly God's Son, being truly divine, 
The devil manages to convince our flesh and the flesh of other people to doubt both the implications of the miracles, the testimony of the angels like on Christmas, and even the teachings of the inspired Word of God. And he does this in a few ways. The very first way is what we've mentioned already, that that the devil attacks Christ and his divinity by saying that the Scriptures teach two outlandish things to believe, you know? That they can't help but be myths because they just sound so incredible. Now, I think this is actually easier to refute than the other kinds of attacks that the devil brings against the divinity of Jesus. So, for instance, the devil would love it. He would just absolutely love it for you guys to think to yourselves that I am a Christian and that I have faith, and yet he would corrupt your confession and what you believe to the point where Jesus is a mere man and not the Son of God. You see, for the devil, this is better because then he gives you the impression that you're in the Christian church without having the confession of a Christian in the church. Now, how does he do that? Like I said, he tries to dismantle the comfort that you have, the comfort that God is a man in the person of Christ, and that everything that that Christ does, that everything that Jesus does, is God doing his saving work for you. The mystery of God being a man in the person of Christ is the doom of Satan. It's his destruction. But for you, it's your eternal comfort. The devil knows this, and he wants to destroy your comfort for you. And he does it in such a way that he'll say that, well, if you... Maybe Jesus wasn't the Son of God from the moment of his conception. What if, what if he was just a man and he was adopted by God, like at his baptism? Perhaps Jesus was just a mere man until he was baptized and then he was adopted by God. Then he starts to become the Son of God in some sort of extended sense. Not in an essential sense, like he's actually God, but in an extended sense. Or he'll say, what if, what if uh, uh, Jesus isn't truly the Christ? until he is glorified, like in his resurrection or ascension, uh, that, that, you know, he was just a man like any other man, but because his death was so, I don't know, innocent or something like that, God made him more than he was. So now he has become God-like, or God in, in some sort of extended sense, as opposed to being God from the very moment of conception in the womb of Mary. Or perhaps the devil will say something like this. Maybe in Jesus, there are actually two different people at work, right? There's the Son of God, who is doing all of these miraculous and incredible things that we would normally think about God doing. But covering God is this shell of something that looks like a man. Something that looks like Jesus. He would want you to think... He wants you to think that there's somehow a distinction between the God who, who heals, who stills the storm, who is glorified, and the Jesus who hungers, thirsts, gets tired, suffers, and dies. This is why Jesus had to ascend the Mount of Transfiguration. It's to show us and to show his disciples that he does not have a borrowed divinity. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he is not called the Son of God in any sort of extended sense. 
The light doesn't shine down upon Jesus on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Rather, the light shines from Jesus. Nor does the divinity shine from Jesus in such a way that he ceases to be a man and he shows himself only to be God and not a man. No, it shines through his flesh. What you see upon the Mount of Transfiguration is the person of Jesus, who he is, as a man, shining with the glory and the brilliance of God himself. There are not two people here. There is a man, Jesus, who is the divine Christ. There is not a mixture of the divine and the human into some sort of hybrid thing either. Rather, there is one person who is fully God and fully man. He possesses his humanity and his divinity totally and completely in his person. And they commune with one another, these natures, in his person, such that the glory of the divinity shines like the brilliance of the sun through Jesus when he reveals himself to be truly divine. The scriptures teach it like this. For in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. It's good for us to remember this, especially before Lent, because it teaches us about the magnitude and the infinite worth of our comfort, which comes to us through the priceless treasure of Jesus' blood shed upon the cross. Just before ascending the mountain, the Scriptures teach that Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. What this means is that our Lord began to teach His sufferings with precision and clarity. And yet the scriptures say that the disciples couldn't fathom the good that could come from their teacher's death. And so Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. What did he say? He said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus says, you are thinking of me as a man and haven't yet set your mind on the things of God. When Jesus' glory, his divine glory, that he has truly and essentially shines through his human flesh on the mountain, he is showing Peter and James and John and the whole Christian church that it is not a mere man who is about to go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. Yes, he looks like a man, just like you and I. But he is God's son who goes to be whipped to be spit upon, to be crucified, to bleed. Jesus wants you to know this, so that when you see Jesus extended upon the cross, you don't see a man dying merely, but you see God dying in the person of Jesus. 
You see a death that is able to do things that no other death in the history of the entire universe has ever been able to do. This blood, this death, redeems the world from its sin. Now you and I, we don't have the vantage of Peter, James, and John this morning to learn the comfort of Jesus' true humanity and divinity uh, with our eyes. We can't look at it. But God the Father tells us that it's enough to hear Jesus' voice, and that's why he tells us to listen to him. Now, if we can't see Jesus with our eyes, how do we hear his voice? Like I said, St. Peter tells us about the treasure of his own words that deliver the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Christ our Lord tells us about his apostles that the one who hears you hears me. Then when we hear St. Peter, when we hear St. Paul, when we hear St. Matthew, we should be thinking to ourselves not so much that we are hearing from mere men, but we are hearing through Jesus. We are hearing from Jesus, who speaks through these men. Not only do we have the words of Jesus written down by his apostles in the New Testament, St. Peter tells us we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Who appeared with Jesus on the mountain transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. When they appeared next to Jesus, it wasn't, you know, for the sake of a photo op or something like that. It was actually to teach you that the writings of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, and that the writings of the prophets, everything from Joshua all the way to the end, that they're all centered upon Jesus. In the Gospel of St. Luke, it tells us what the conversation was between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And it's the same conversation that was revealed to Moses and Elijah as they preached and they taught the people of Israel. They were speaking about Jesus' suffering. They were speaking about Jesus' death. They were speaking about your redemption and your salvation. The way that you find your, the way that you have found out of the sinful and dead world through the crucified flesh of Jesus and his word. That is the word that has been more fully confirmed. They held forth the seed. The seed promised to crush the serpent's head, to crush the head of the devil. They held forth the divine son of David, who would reign over a kingdom of grace would reign with forgiveness and eternal life. And here they are on the top of the mountain, pointing to Jesus and saying, this is it. This is the man about whom we were speaking. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. The words that we have in the Old and New Testaments, this gives us a better glory a better glory than merely seeing Jesus transformed before our eyes. A better glory than seeing the divinity shining through the flesh of Jesus with our eyes. Why? Because look at Peter, James, and John on the top of the mountain. When, when, when the divinity was showing through the flesh of Jesus and the cloud surrounded them and they heard the voice of the Father, how were they? They were afraid. They were terrified. But the glory that you have 
It's a glory that doesn't just terrify. It's a glory that picks you up from the depths of despair. It's a glory that that speaks to you in your guilt and your shame and says that you are loved by your heavenly Father. That when Jesus opens his mouth to speak, when the Father says, listen to Jesus, you hear, I forgive you. I love you. I have died for you, and I have risen for you, and I will give you comfort eternally. This is the light that is rising within your hearts. The light rises and it shines where the infinite value of Jesus' blood is preached. Where his baptism is poured out on sinners. That is where the greater glory of God is revealed. Where he reveals himself, our Lord Jesus, as our brother and our king, who only wants to forgive us, to resurrect us, and to bless us eternally. The Lord grant us faith always in his word. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.